It was raining so hard during first service, we could barely hear what was going on. And I think after the message that I preached, some of the people were hoping it got drowned out even more. But you'll see, we are in Galatians chapter 5. Um, we looked at all the fruits of the Spirit. We're going to work our way through some of the things that stand out in the deeds of the flesh. Very important that we understand that some of these deeds of the flesh, when they become patterns in our life or we give ourselves over to them, they definitely threaten our eternal situation. And you're going to hear that in the text. I'm going to read Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, and then we're going to jump into our topic this morning. Father, we thank you for being able to worship together and having your Holy Spirit here to touch us. We ask, Lord God, that you till the ground of our heart and give us ears to hear today so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And Father, if we need to make adjustments, each of us would have the courage to, to do that, Lord, today, so that we could be safe and live in your blessing, Lord. We ask all this in Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen. Galatians 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Now, we're about to hear the desires of the flesh or the deeds of the flesh, and the precursor there was the, the antidote for the flesh is to walk in the spirit. Let's remember that. It's a spiritual battle. It's not grit. It's not determination. It's not intellect. It's us allowing the Holy Spirit to teach us to overcome the flesh. Verse 17, for the desire of the flesh is against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. We looked at verse 17 last week. Listen, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, we've heard that many times. This is part nine of our series but today we're going to focus in on what we've kind of passed over all those times. And I want you to zero in on the last part of 21 here where it says those who practice, say practice. Those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. The Bible is not saying that if you and I struggle with a particular sin that's found on the list here that we're not saved. Is everybody on the same page with me on that? I don't want the enemy to enter in and hear, oh, man, uh, I had an outburst of anger last week, so I guess I'm not going to heaven. That's not, what the, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that when we practice such things, that means we give ourselves over to them. We don't even struggle against them, but we just do them and we make excuses and we say, well, that's just the way they am. That's a dangerous way to live. We're going to zero in on this list here, and as we do, we're going to find a couple common threads. We saw nine fruits of the Spirit. We cover them. There's 15 works of the flesh listed. There's a disclaimer in there at the end. It says, uh, you know, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. So if yours wasn't on the list, whoosh, 
Thank goodness God forgot about that. No, and things like these, they're works of the flesh, and there are many of them. But we're going to zero in on that list and find some common threads. Now, if we find a common theme, the first one should immediately jump out at us because it's listed first. And the first thing it says here is sexual immorality, impurity, and decent behavior. Those three, but sexual immorality is listed first, and the other two go right along with it. So today, we're going to talk about sexuality in the human sense and how it relates to us as the people of God. So, you know, first service, it was pouring. We had to lock the doors. Some of them tried to leave, but we're in together, all right? Today, we're going to get through this and realize... Walking in the Spirit is the antidote for all this immorality we're going to talk about today. But the area of human sexuality is really a huge problem for creation. This is where it gets really quiet. And the truth is a lot of people get snared into sexual sin and it destroys their soul. Now, if you're a Christian today, God has a better plan for you than for you to give yourself over to sexual immorality like the whole world is doing it. I remember when we were kids, we used to say, come on, mom, come on, dad, everybody's doing it. And the thing was, the truth was, not everybody was doing it. There was only a handful. But you know what? I got to be honest. As we look around at this generation and the depths that we fall into and the immorality that we've plunged into, it almost does seem like everyone is doing it. And so we have, we have an obstacle to face as believers. And the area of human sexuality and how we should handle it in our lives has been a huge problem for creation since the beginning. And here's why. Because we don't want to submit to the boundaries and intentions of the creator's design in this department. What we want to do is redefine it our way and cast all restraints off it so we can do what our flesh wants to do. It's quiet this morning, amen. God designed sex. And I want to tell you something. Because he did, he gets to tell us the parameters in which it is, should be used in, amen. Does the lump of clay say to the potter, hey, you can't do that. Does the lump of clay say to the potter, my body, my choice. Does the lump of clay say to the potter, mind your business, this is my life. God gets to define the parameters and the boundaries and the intents and purposes of the things he has designed. And, and listen, throughout the centuries, man has pushed the envelope. If you look all throughout the Old Testament and the, the heathen cultures that had temple prostitutes and all kinds of filth and immorality in their worship, you see that there's nothing new under the sun. We have, you know, we've pushed the boundaries in our generation, but we haven't invented any new sin. It's sexual immorality. And man has always pushed the boundaries of those things. But throughout the centuries, the church has also fumbled this whole area. And, you know, some of the churches have gone to the extreme of trying to make sex seem dirty or say it's for procreation only or drowned it in a bunch of puritanical rules and hang-ups. Let me say this very clearly this morning so everyone is awake. God made sex. It was his design. And most of us are here because of it. I just love to see you guys just get that one. You know, it was God's idea, God's design. He sets the parameters of, of where it's healthy, and he can say where it's gone off the rails, and he does in his word very clearly. God made sex to be between a man and a woman in the context of marriage. 
This used to be basic, and you know, there's only one person clapping right now because maybe some of you, for the first time, you just heard that. God made sex to be between a man, one man, and one woman in the context of marriage. And let me tell you something. That might not be popular, it might be cultural, but it works. God's way works. It preserves the relationship. It preserves the family. It preserves the children. God's way works. He made it between a man and a woman in marriage. He made it to be passionate, pleasurable, and fulfilling. It's not dirty. It's not a necessary evil. It's not just for making babies and don't have fun while you're doing it. No. Welcome to Full Gospel Center on Sunday morning. God made sex to be a deep bonding experience between husband and wife. In the context of marriage, sex is the super glue of a healthy marriage. Now you say, are you going to step on toes this morning? I'm going to break legs and ankles. (laughs) Because you know what? I love you enough and I love the word of God enough to just tell you the truth, amen. Because we need to make adjustments in our lives so that we can be pleasing to the Lord. So how do we take such a beautiful gift, a special gift, a gift given to us from the creator who designed it to be fulfilling and pleasurable, how do we take that gift and mess it up so badly? And I'll tell you how. Through our sin, through our stubbornness, and our lack of self-control, we've messed it up. And we've abused the gift, and many of us have made messes of our lives. You know, the things that we've done without restraint and we drag all that baggage into our marital relationship and it takes years to unwind all the immorality so that we can have healthy marriages. And that's why we see marriages failing at an unprecedented rate, even in the church, 50%. Why? Because people are not waiting till they get married to have sex and they're bringing all this baggage into the relationship and all this immorality and, and sometimes it's too much to work through. Here comes the rain. (laughs) Let's look at how sexual sin is described in the list found in Galatians. There's three areas here, and and this is the common thread. It says sexual immorality, impurity, and indecent behavior. We're going to look at facets of each one of those, but let's start with sexual immorality. Now, the Greek word for sexual immorality is pornea. If you're taking notes today... Pornea, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out this is where we get the English word pornography, okay? And what, is, what does it mean? Pornea is the surrendering of one's sexual purity through fornication. Surrendering one's sexual purity through fornication. Now, God wants us to be pure. God wants us to be holy, but he knows we're wrapped in flesh and it's a difficult task. So he gives us the Holy Spirit to produce the fruit of the Spirit in us so that we can have self-control in this area. Now, let's look. We looked at pornea and we know what that means and it's the surrendering of sexual purity, but I said through fornication. Now, that word fornication is a word that includes all sexual expression outside of marriage. So when you see that word fornication in the Bible, I remember there was some friend of mine who joined a group and they were supposed to be a Christian group and they were all living together with their girlfriends and they said, well, the Bible doesn't say you can't live together with your girlfriend. And he's like, well, well, it says fornication. They're like, that's not what that means. It doesn't say girlfriend. 
You know, it's like we get all this, we don't understand what the word is saying. Fornication is all sexual expression outside of the bond of marriage. That includes fornication, sex between unmarried people, adultery, sex when one of the people is married or both, homosexuality, bestiality, pedophilia, sex with children. All this stuff is prohibited in God's word. Do you realize in our nation there is now legislation that has been introduced that was trying to normalize pedophilia? Anybody? Wake up this morning. Wake up. Look where we're going. You know, listen to me. I'm talking up here. No conversations out there. It's just serious this morning. Amen. I'm going to bring a water gun and just start squirting people. But the, the immorality in this country has fallen to such a level that they're actually trying to legitimize and legalize sex with children. Good morning. It's a serious situation that our culture finds itself in because we have rebelled against God's design and intent and we've pushed the envelope so far to the extreme, it's hardly recognizable at this point. Now, God's got a plan for the sexual union, and it's in a context where we can express ourselves in a way that's pleasing to God. God's answer to our inherent weakness in this area is threefold. One, he wants us to be personally holy. So we have to choose holiness, amen? Now, how many understand we're, we, we still struggle and we still have desires and passions and appetites? Anybody? Okay. Two people were willing to admit that in church this morning. Good for you. But we, we have a struggle in the area. So, you know, this whole idea of uh, just self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit, um, you know, that's good. But there has to be more to it. We, personal holiness, self-control, we need that. But God actually gives us an answer to insulate us from sexual immorality. And the answer to it from God's Word is marriage. Say marriage. Amen. If you want to have sex, you must be married. Listen to 1 Corinthians 7, 2 through 5. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, so all, because of immorality here, this is the answer. Let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive, the King James says defraud. Do not defraud one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Did you hear what I just read to you in the word of God this morning? Marriage is a great tool to insulate us from immorality. Why? Because if we don't have the gift of singleness, then we, we are going to want to express ourselves physically in a sexual way. Amen? Now, I specifically said gift when I said singleness, because singleness is a gift. You don't choose singleness. Unlike some churches, you can't force people into singleness because it never works. If you see the places that force clergy to be single, they are rife with immorality of every kind within their ranks. Why? Because you cannot force singleness on someone. It's a gift. 
So you say, well, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? Well, you have no desire to have intimacy. You have no drive for sexual expression. You're content the way you are, and you don't even want to, you know, you're like, I'm good. I don't want to be married. Now, you're all looking at me like, that ain't me. <laughs> okay, well, if you don't have that gift today, then the, the alternative is to be married. If you don't have the gift of singleness and you want to express your sexuality, God gave a context for us to do it in, in the marital relationship, in covenant with uh, one woman and one man in a way that is pleasing to God. And it says because of sexual immorality. So realize marriage is something that is a tool for us to insulate ourselves. I have an, an outlet of expression for my sexuality with the woman that I married and stood before God and made a covenant with. Someone say amen. amen. This is God's design. And it's pretty blunt. Now verses 3 through 5 of uh, 1 Corinthians 7 they speak to some issues here that if not properly handled can destroy marriage's ability to insulate. Do you notice some people get married and yet there's still immorality in their lives? Some people get married and there's still pornography. There's still adultery. There, there, there are still things, uh, impure things that are happening in their lives because they haven't used the outlet of marriage properly. And verse 3 through 5 kind of tell us how to do this in a way that insulates us. Listen, let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. Let also the wife to her husband. So we, in the marital relationship, we owe something to our partner, our spouse, and that is what? To render them the affection due them. Listen to verse four. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Now, listen, feminism and chauvinism hate that statement I just made. And if you're out there going, my body, my choice, uh-uh, not when you get married. They were, God wasn't kidding about the two flesh becoming one. We're one flesh. My body's not my own. It belongs to my wife. And I apologize for this, but, you know, and she belongs to me. And we don't, we're not independent of each other. We're one flesh. We're in covenant together. So I owe her something. I, I owe her to render the affection and the physical intimacy that, that meets her needs. And she owes that to me. Are we on the same page here today? Okay, I want to get you to agree to that because we're moving on. Verse 5 says, do not deprive or defraud one another except for consent for a time that you may give yourself to prayer and fasting. So what is that saying? The only time we should abstain and suspend physical intimacy in our marriage is we are praying and fasting. Some of you have been praying and fasting for years. And you need to stop. You say, why do I need to stop? Because the text continues. It says, and come together again so Satan does not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, once you've partaken of the gift and then all of a sudden you're cut off from it, it creates a vacuum in you that the devil is very excited to fill with immorality. And there are many marriages out there where husbands and wives are defrauding one another and creating a vacuum of sexual immorality. You know, as I teach this here today, re realize something. I have done, been doing marriage counseling for over 30 years. My wife and I have sat down with countless couples. We have heard everything you could possibly think of. And we've learned a few things along the way. The first thing we've learned is God's way works. 
And this scripture here works if we will honor it and put it into practice in our marriages. We are not to defraud or, you know, to deprive one another. We're not to withhold from each other. We're, we're going to take a look at that. But husbands and wives who become selfish or stingy about meeting others, each other's physical needs open their marriage up to immorality, open their marriage up to an attack from the enemy. You say, why? Because they're one flesh. And your spouse is to have access to you physically to meet their needs. Verse 3 says, render physical affection. I owe that to my wife. I can't be cold and calloused and closed off and so busy or so about my own things that she feels unloved and she doesn't get uh, any affection. And, you know, th there's no, uh, the physical intimacy is not satisfying. Uh, are you guys alive out there? Amen. <laughs> Marriage is a good thing, but somehow even in the church, we've turned it into a mess because we get selfish and we don't want to meet someone else's needs. We just want to do our own thing. And if, if we're not interested, then they don't, get, you know, they don't get their needs met. Verse four, you know, showing that we're not exclusive anymore, but we're one. Remember this, married people, you are one. You're on the same team. You are to meet each other's needs because God put you together for a reason, amen? Verse 5 describes what's really going on when we refuse to meet our spouse's physical needs within marriage. He, sa he says depriving or defrauding one another. And listen, when we deprive and defraud one another, uh, you know, it is not pleasing to God and it's sin. And here's another issue with it. It's not only sin, but it opens us up to deeper sin. Like I said, I've been doing marriage counseling for 30 plus years and I've seen people who cut one another off and don't meet each other's needs and just ignore their partner's situation. It opens the marriage up to third parties getting involved. I've seen marriages destroyed, Christian marriages destroyed because people were too selfish and too rebellious to obey the word of God, depriving one another, defrauding one another creating a vacuum of need in each other's lives. Don't do this to each other. If you're married, take your marital covenant seriously. If you're married, meet one another's needs. You're a gift from God to each other. Yet many people just play the game and they, oh, I'm praying, I'm fasting. I'm busy, I'm not in the mood. One night, a husband came into the bedroom. He had a big silver tray. He had a big glass of water on it and a little pillow with a small pillow on it. His wife said, what's that? She sa he said, it's an aspirin. She said, I don't have a headache. He said, gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so I'm watching the slow people go, oh. Yeah, we got to stop playing games with each other. We got to stop defrauding one another. It's not pleasing to the Lord. And it opens your marriage up to sin. It opens the spouse who's being defrauded up to sin. And listen, when that sin touches the relationship, it will be both of your fault. And none of you will be innocent. Welcome to Full Gospel Center on Sunday. I'm sure the crowd will be smaller next Sunday. 
So there's this idea of sexual immorality and marriage is an answer to it. If you're single and you want to be married, then you need self-control and you need to choose holiness and you need to submit your body to God, amen. Don't yield your members to unrighteousness as the scripture says. Look in the, you know, the strengthening of the Holy Spirit is the only way that we are going to be able to remain pure in this generation. If you are single and you want to be married, Kim and I are praying for you because we pray that God will bring Christian spouses for all of those who want to be married. Amen. Godly men, godly women, someone to, to be an asset to your life. So let's move on to impurity. Sexual immorality was the first of the list, but there's a common thread here and these things work together. The second thing is mentioned is impurity. And impurity is the loss of innocence due to being involved in sexually explicit material or conduct. So it's a loss of innocence. How many know once your innocence is lost, you just can't get it back? Did you ever know some things that you wish you didn't know? I mean, once that innocence is gone, it's gone. And sadly, uh, innocence is being robbed from uh, our generation at an earlier and earlier age. Innocence is, uh, you know, what happens when we allow impurity to infiltrate us, we lose this innocence and now we're exposed to things that we open a door that is really hard to close. Now, the enemy loves to attack our thought lives because he has a goal in mind. If he can attack our thought lives with impurity, he can modify our, our mental image of things and then he can modify our behavior. How many understand every action that we do in our physical body started off as a thought? Especially in the physical area, especially in the sexual area. People think and entertain things and they dwell on them and they fantasize about them and the next thing you know, they're trying to find an outlet to carry them out and then they carry them out and then it becomes a pattern and then it becomes a habit and then it sets the, their destiny. And all of this starts off as a thought in the mind. So where we gain victory is in our thought life so that impurity doesn't pollute us and steal our innocence away so that our behavior is modified into things that are ungodly. So I asked you a question today. How's your thought life? Are you guarding your mind? Are you giving it over to thinking things and uh, fantasizing about things and filling your mind up with things that are contrary to the word of God and you know it? yet you're skating on the edge and playing the game, and we're going to talk about this. It's a dangerous game to play. Why? Because a thought leads to an action, leads to a habit, leads to a pattern, leads to a lifestyle. And what this text says is those who practice such things. We don't start off practicing. We start off with a thought. Let's talk about impurity in several areas here. Now, it's very hard for us to keep our minds pure these days when 24-7, 365 days a year, anyone with an internet connection has access to all the impurity and immorality you could, you could ever consume in a lifetime. How many people have cell phones? You're all just lying. There's only two. All right, people are holding them up. Yeah, that thing, is a, that, that thing is an open door to immorality. There's so much garbage on there. You know, when I was a kid, we didn't have this stuff. You know, you, it, was harder to, it was harder to be involved in immorality. Now it's in all of our hands. And it's a dangerous, 
dangerous thing, and it's taken a toll on the purity of our generation. Let's talk about impurity in children. The average age of exposure to pornography in children starts at six years old. From 6 to 16, most every child has been exposed to pornography. Uh, Social media platforms like Snapchat and TikTok are rife with it, and they are something that puts these images in front of our children in a way when they are so young that it grips them. A large segment of boys are regularly exposed to pornography on a regular basis by 11 and, and 12 years old for girls. So girls are only getting one year out of it, both Girls and boys now view pornography at the same rates. The devil hates purity in our children, and he works feverishly to corrupt them long before they reach maturity because if he can twist their minds when they're young and impressionable and get them to practice everything the word of God says is destructive, he can usually snare them for a lifetime. We need to protect our children. The church needs to protect the children. Mom and dad, we need to protect our children. See what they're looking at. See what's on their phone. See what's on their computer. Well, I don't want to violate their privacy. Do you want them to wind up in hell? When you live in my house, you can have a very limited expectation of privacy. I don't lock my phone up from anyone. There's no code on it. There's no biometric nonsense. My wife can look at it anytime she wants. I can look at hers and see all the stuff she's got in her cart for Amazon and start to pray. But listen, this is a dangerous situation for our children. An English study that was done recently by the Children's Commission in England begged for governmental safeguards to be implemented to protect protect the children of the generation from exposure to adult material. They had noted serious behavioral issues in a large group of eight-year-olds because they were being regularly exposed to pornography. And their behavior was atrocious. And what did it stem from? The impurity and immorality that was being pumped into their spirits through the internet. Technology is a great blessing, but it's a double-edged sword. If not monitored and regulated properly, it can be destructive to the human soul. Let's talk about impurity in our culture. The perilous times of the last days culture described in 2 Timothy 3 has become reality in this generation. Our generation embraces impurity that our grandfather's generation would not even talk about in secret. The things that wouldn't even be whispered in the dark are now paraded on primetime TV in such a way that people would have never thought it was possible that we could fall this far this fast. Think about what goes on in our schools now. Man, it seems like not too long ago I was in high school and the morality and the, and the you know, the, the strictness of the culture and the, it, it was so much different from then to now what our children face, because our culture has plunged into immorality. The perilous times that we talked about, listen to the description of the generation in 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Why perilous? Because the generation's gonna be thoroughly impure and immoral. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, 
boasters, proud, blasphemous, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away." God is describing the condition of the generation, and it is a thoroughly immoral generation, and I'll let you be the judge if we are there or not. But our culture is immoral. Our culture is permissive. Our culture is impregnated with all kinds of impurities, and it's affecting our children. It's affecting our culture. And number three, impurity has infected the church. Christians have always struggled with sexual sin. We're we're not immune to the things of the flesh, but we've seen sin normalized in the church of Jesus Christ in the last decades. There again, that things that our grandparents would never even thought about, things that the Bible clearly prohibits have been normalized in churches. And it's in the congregation, and, and they're behind the pulpit, and they're saying, well, you know, it's okay, and God loves everybody, and it, you don't have to repent, and, you know, God loves us all. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. There's all kinds of stuff. You know, when we got drag queens reading story time to our kids in school, when we, when we got the peer group pushing for immorality, and if you're a straight person, you're actually persecuted in school. Come on, do some of you realize what's going on out there? How many parents know what's going on? And you can say, amen, Pastor Rick, amen. I'm not making this stuff up. It's crazy out there. It's infected our children, our culture, and it's even in the church. You know, the, the divorce rate in the church is the same in the world. The, the, the amount of people living together in the church mirrors the world. I remember as a pastor starting off doing weddings, and every year we do, you know, six, seven weddings, and maybe out of all of those, maybe one, once in a while, the people were living together. Now almost every couple that comes to get marriage counseling is living together. That's fornication. That's, uh, that's a lifestyle that w- would destroy our opportunity to, to go to heaven. And let, yet it's so permissive in our culture, it's in our churches. Either get out or get married, but stop playing house because you're playing Russian roulette with your soul. So impurity is everywhere. And it's difficult for us to keep ourselves pure. Did you ever think some days the only hope you have is to lock yourself in a room with no electricity and duct tape your eyes? And It's tough out there. But with the Holy Spirit, with the heart that it purposes to do the will of God, with the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, self-control being developed in us, God can keep us pure. He's coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Come on. He's working on us today. And for some of us, this is an opportunity to recalibrate what we're doing with our lives. Because there are eternal consequences looming. And as I look at the condition of the world, Jesus could come back at any time. So how's your thought life? Are you full of God's purity or are you struggling with immorality? Today's a day to get free and to get back on track. I want to cover one last thing here, and that's indecent behavior. So we looked at the three, sexual immorality, impurity, and indecent behavior. Well, indecent behavior is basically this. It's conduct that's unbecoming. And 
in the military, there's a military code of justice when you're in there. You can actually be taken out of your position, lose your rank, and even be incarcerated for doing conduct that's unbecoming of an officer. It's crazy that our military has a stricter moral code than most of our churches. It's crazy that the Congress and the governmental figures that control the military, if they had to go by the military code of justice, most of them would be out of office or in jail. Yet, we need to get this concept of conduct unbecoming because when it comes to indecent behavior, we need to know what that conduct is. And I want to say something. There is conduct that's unbecoming for married people. When I was a single man, I acted one way. When I became a married man, I act another way. I am married. She is my wife. There is no other one. She's the only one. I'm not out there throwing out the line or casting out the net or flirting or, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries or trying to get attention. Hello. I see people all the time, Christian people, you know, their conduct is is not proper for a married person. A married man doesn't act that way, doesn't say that. A married woman doesn't do those things, put herself in those positions. I see married Christian couples. Well, you know, I have a whole bunch of girlfriends. You know, I grew up with them. I have a whole bunch of guy friends. You know, we go out out for dinner. That's crazy. Once you get married, that's over. You have couple friends now. I'll just clap. Like I said, well, you say, why are you saying that? Because I've been doing this for 30 years. And what happens is when you entertain such things and you, you engage in conduct that's unbecoming, you're flirtatious, you're putting yourself out there, you need attention, oh, we're just friends. It's marched into my office and it's blossomed into adultery and now it's destroyed a marriage. And now there's kids destroyed in the wake of it. There's conduct that's unbecoming for non-married people. Non-married people, you, you know, you should treat someone that you're dating like a brother or a sister. You should keep your physical relationship extremely limited. Why? Because every line you cross, you can never uncross. And every line you cross, you'll push to the next line because that's the nature of the flesh. Everybody's looking at me like they don't know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. We were all young, and like some of us who are older, I've been married for 31 years, and you know, you think, you remember dating? Yeah, I remember. Oh, yeah, her. All right. I'm like, Pastor Mike. But, you know, my conduct with my wife is in a different area here and like you and I need to understand as as unmarried people if you're single today and you're dating today keep a short lease on your physical relationship Uh, look I I believe in if you you're dating and your relationship is healthy and you know you you uh you feel like God is in it and you you're you're clicking that you should get engaged and then you should get married I believe in short engagements. None of this nonsense. Well, we've been engaged for 20 years, and, you know, he's going to give me a ring. Listen, bring him to me. I'll give him a ring. I'll ring his bell because he's just playing games with you, okay? He's playing games with you. Oh, yeah, we're going to get married, and he, you know, come on. Short engagements 
quick marriage. Uh, you know, our world is like, well, you know, you can't get married until you get a four-year degree, and then you want to get your, your doctorate, and you want to get a job, and you want to get a house, and you want to make money, and you want to be able to... Listen, by the time you do that, you're in your 30s, you're in your 40s, and guess what? You haven't saved yourself for marriage. You've entered into the fornication realm, and now you've developed a pattern in your life that's created baggage that you're going to bring into your marriage. So if you are with the person and, and, and they're God's choice and you feel the peace of God, get married. I was 23 when I got married. She was 20. I had to trick her while she was young until she figured it out. <laughs> 31 years, we've had a great marriage. Oh, oh, when you get married young, it just doesn't last. That's a lie from the devil, amen. When God gives you the right person, it, it's going to last. When you both have Jesus in your life and you're committed to the relationship, it's going to last. None of this, I got to take it for a test drive. We're going to live together. We're going to, that's all nonsense. John and Donna do our first session of premarital counseling and you, you, could, you could ask them what the statistics are for people who play house. The divorce rate is exponential. God's way works. Don't listen to the lies of this world. The Bible's not outdated, antiquated. It's the word of God. It works every time if we follow it. Amen? So there's conduct unbecoming for married people, for non-married people, and for those who are followers of Jesus. Paul says, let there not be a hint of sexual immorality among you. We have to conduct ourselves in a way that, that keep this filth in the world at arm's length from our lives. Why? Because if we let it get close to us, it's going to get us. We're all made out of flesh. None of us are immune to this stuff. I'm not preaching this like I, I'm immune. Listen, I, I'm, I'm as weak as you are, amen. And I got a lot of devils assigned against me because if the leader falls, if the leader's immoral, how many pastors have you seen just crushed and fall and devastate churches and embarrass the body of Christ? Do you think that's an anomaly? That's a satanic design. He, he, is, he assigns legions of devils and temptation and sends all kinds of things towards leadership. Why? Because he knows if he can get them to be immoral, it scatters the flock. So we've got to have this conduct that's becoming of a Christian. And, and if we're married, we've got to fulfill our obligations to our spouse and give love and affection and intimacy and meet those needs, all of these things will insulate us from immorality. Now, there's one key, last key, I want to cover with you today as I close. And, you know, we have holiness and a choice to be holy and the fruit of the spirit of self-control and then we have marriage to insulate us. I'm so glad for the gift of marriage that gives us an outlet to express our sexuality in a way that's pleasing to God. But there's one more principle I want to share with you today as we close. To avoid immorality, the best way to do it is to never entertain it in the first place. Don't cross certain lines and it won't even be an issue. When you flirt with or fantasize about immorality, you are going to get bit by it. Trust me. You're not strong enough. You don't have the self-control. You're not above it. You're not too spiritual to get suckered into it. Proverbs 6, 26 through 27. 
For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Listen to this verse. Can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? What is the, what is the word of God saying in the Proverbs there? Remember, these are, these are wisdom keys here. What's the wisdom? If you play with the fire of sexual immorality, you're going to get burned. If you play with it, you're going to get bit by it. So the best thing to do is to avoid it, to keep it at more than arm's length, and to never entertain it in the first place. The Bible instructs us in several places to actually flee from sexual immorality. Listen to 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside of the body. And he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Look at that. It's a joint compound sin. It's a sin against God. It's a sin against my own body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it's a sin against somebody else's body if they're involved. Because why? We've defiled them. Listen to 2 Timothy 2.22. Flee also youthful lusts. Young people, listen. But follow righteousness faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. So what? We're instructed to flee sexual immorality, flee youthful lusts. And then listen, in Genesis 39, we see Joseph, the patriarch, who had to flee from the advances of a sexually immoral woman to preserve his purity. We know the story about Joseph was thrown in a pit by his brothers. He was sold into slavery. He became the head of Potiphar's house in Egypt. Potiphar gave her control of all the house because Joseph did such a good job managing everything. He gave him control of everything except one thing, Mrs. Potiphar. Yet Mrs. Potiphar was immoral and she sexually harassed him. And we pick up in the situation here, Genesis 39, 10. So it was as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. But it happened about this time when Joseph went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were inside that she caught him by his garment and said, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was that when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, you know what happens. She set him up. She said he did what he didn't do and that he wound up in prison, but he maintained his integrity. What did Joseph do? He didn't give in. He didn't make an excuse. He didn't say, well, I have no choice. No, he fled. The best thing we could do is not cross certain lines. The best thing we could do is to run away from the snares that we see laid out before us, not to be foolish, not to push the envelope, not to think we can handle it because we can't handle it but we need the holiness of God and the self-control of the Holy Spirit. We need to use the outlet of marriage to be an outlet for the expression of our sexuality in a way that pleases God, and we need to flee from all the impurity and immorality of this generation. Kim and I are praying for all the singles in our church who want a Christian husband or Christian wife that God would bring them uh, an answer to their prayer so that they can have that expression and that they would be able to maintain purity and that they'd be able to be fruitful and multiply, amen? So hang in there today and, and keep your faith in God and keep your purity. Stay away from immorality. Stay away from indecent behavior and and and. 
commit to God to live in such a way that's pleasing to him. Let's bow our heads this morning. Maybe we're here today and we're struggling in an area. We're struggling with fornication or pornography or we're in marriage and we're in a sexless marriage and our needs aren't being met and the enemy's trying to seduce us into breaking our marital covenant. We need to bring these things to the Lord. Some of you maybe need to bring them to leadership, but don't stay isolated out there because the enemy is trying to destroy you and he's not playing around. But God has given us every tool necessary to maintain our purity and to enjoy the gifts that he's given us. But if we need to repent in any area, let's just take a moment in his presence. Father, your word says that if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive us of our sin. Sexual immorality is undoubtedly sin. God shut down every quote-unquote church or preacher or personality that tries to justify what your word calls sin. Silence the mouth of the liar and the wicked. Father, I pray today that just because we struggle with sin doesn't mean we can't be forgiven of it. Father, I thank you for forgiveness today, but we must confess and we must repent and we must choose your ways over our ways. So Father, today, every area that we need to repent of, I pray you grant us the gift of repentance. Father, for those that need to come get counseling or contact leadership or bring their marriage in for counseling, Lord, because it's, it's in a place that it's, it's dangerous. Father, I pray that you would give all of us the courage to face these things. Today is the day. Jesus could come back at any time. We know we need to live ready. We need to not be practicing things that could cost us the kingdom of heaven. But make us a church without spot or wrinkle. The time is short. And the consequences are serious. So purify us, Lord God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise this morning.